This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Hagai Lupesco. Hagai, can you give a quick background on yourself? Sure. Hey, Tony. Nice to be here. So I'm the VP of Engineering at Mosaic ML. Since July of this year, actually, we're part of Databricks, following Databricks acquisition of Mosaic ML. And I've been a software engineer, engineering leader for the past 20 years. Before Mosaic, spent some time at Meta in the Meta AI organization. Prior to that, I spent about five years in Amazon, most recently in AWS ML. And earlier than that, I did a bunch of other things in my career on medical imaging, computer vision, web applications, really all over the place. Wow, that sounds exciting. So Mosaic ML is a language model company. Can you like give a brief background on what is a language model? I would say Mosaic ML is a company that, you know, not just enables other companies to use language models, but more provides the capabilities for companies to really build large-scale AI models, uh, including large language models, uh, but also other things like uh, text-to-image models, like stable diffusion or object segmentation models. The capabilities of the platform are pretty generic, uh, although we have optimized the platform for language models. Language models in general are models that are all the rage these days, right? We tend to today think more about the regressive language models that can generate text, but language model is actually a broader term. It's models that can generate embedding, representing words or sentences, or that can generate text, or that can classify text. And there's a bunch of different types of ways people use these language models. But one thing that is very clear is that it's all the Regis days, and they reach a level of capability that actually surpasses humans, like the average human, on quite a few tasks. Oh, wow. We've ever gotten to that stage so far? I, th- I thought it was going to be like a couple years away. Oh, no. Even with computer vision, by the way, right? like three, four years ago, like the state-of-the-art computer vision models actually surpassed the average human capability. In some ways, actually, computer vision sort of paved the way for NLP. And I think with things move so fast in AI these days that people already forget that three, four years ago, computer vision was all the rage uh, and the models over there were able to do really amazing things. And of course, one of the things they do today already is power self-driving cars. But uh, yeah, language models today are already part of the benchmark. The standard benchmarks are math exams and we have models that are doing better on the medical school exams than the average human and and. My, my take, by the way, is this is only get to get, these models are only going to get stronger on all of these uh, intelligence or capability benchmarks. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Like 
a couple of years back, CV was like the hottest thing. And um, I actually specialized in computer vision. Like I was trained in like classical CV and then I went over to deep learning CV. Um, I just found that interesting that all of the CV engineers switched over to um, Gen AI when they got really popular and then we just got lost in the dust um, recently. But yeah, like the grandfather of them all is computer vision. It was like the hottest thing. Like I, for instance, I, a little background of myself, I specialize in like optical character recognition, OCR back in the day. And now I do Gen AI, which is like, I'm following the, the, the general trends of all of the CV engineers. So I'm really interested in the, like the Genesis story of Mosaic ML. Like how did Mosaic ML get started? What inspired the founding teams to dive into the AI space? Can you give a little bit of background on the, the background story on Mosaic ML? Yeah, definitely. For full transparency, I'm not one of the founders of Mosaic ML, but I definitely joined pretty early on and have a lot of context. So Mosaic ML was founded about three years ago in late 2020. From the first kind of formal funding of the company until it actually starts operating as a company, this also takes a while. Uh, but it was founded with a mission, and by the way, that mission is also what attracted me to the company because I really felt this is a really valuable mission in many ways. The mission was to make advanced AI accessible to any organization, not just the big tech companies or the well-funded research labs. Um, the company was co-founded by Naveen Rao and Henning Tang. Uh, both of them previously worked at Intel. And before that, they worked together at Nirvana Systems. Uh, that was a pioneer in AI chips that was acquired by Intel. And Naveen, the CEO, was the CEO of Mosaic ML, was also the, one of the co-founders of Nirvana Systems. So these two co-founders uh, did a fantastic job. So with Mosaic ML, had a lot of experience in the industry from pretty early on. I believe Nirvana was either the first company to actually focus on building a, an AI chip or kind of one of the first one, a, a specific chip for accelerating AI workloads. But anyway, so they funded the company. I joined Mosaic about May 2022, uh, so about a year and a half after the company was founded. It was still pretty early in terms of the company's progress, progression, as well as company size. The company was very small at the time. At the time, we had a fantastic open source project that the company mostly focused on building in the last, the first year and a half of the company. That project is called Composer. It's still on GitHub. It's a library for optimized distributed training of neural networks based on PyTorch. And that was, that library was like a core kind of component in really achieving or pursuing the company's mission of making large scale AI more accessible. Uh, because if for those that kind of practiced applied deep learning in the industry, it's fairly straightforward to run things on, let's say, one GPU. But when you have to go to multiple GPUs or multiple nodes, each one running multiple GPUs, like the infrastructure considerations and work you have to do is, is still pretty significant. And as the models have become larger and larger, and by the way, probably will continue to go, in my mind, still larger. And as the even more so, the amount of data these models are trained on continues to grow, and it's growing, it will continue to grow. It becomes necessary to basically start uh, running, distributing the training job on more and more GPUs and more and more nodes. We see today all these startups building LLMs, raising hundreds of millions of dollars. Most of that money goes to the compute for training the models. 
So going back to the point of that kind of library was really essential and very useful for many companies who wanted to pursue large scale AI. And that library was gaining adoption and popularity at the time, but the company still lacked the product we could actually sell to customers. At the time, I partnered with the founders and the team, the company, and we were really working hard to figure out, okay, so how we have some good library, very useful, but how do we monetize? How do we build a, a valid business uh, on top of it or with it? And as we spoke more and more with potential customers, uh, we realized that the library is not enough. We actually need the product and then we designed and we built a platform to build the business around. And that platform is now called the Mosaic ML platform. It's a platform for training and serving uh, large and complex deep learning models with a very specific focus uh, on LLMs. Although, as I mentioned earlier, like you can use this platform to train any model, but we really work super hard to make sure the experience, the use case, the requirements of LLMs are uh, met to the best degree possible. And I think today, uh, the Mosaic platform, now part of Databricks, and we can talk about that in a minute or later on in our chat, I really do think that today the, that platform is probably the best in the industry if you're trying to train or pre-train your own uh, large language model. I can talk about uh, why it's so useful or why it's capable uh, in a bit. Uh, but yeah, this platform is tries to handle as much as possible of the undifferentiated heavy lifting, right, for our customers. So everything, when I say undifferentiated heavy lifting, like a term we used to use a lot back when I was in AWS, um, you know, is all of the things that are not specific to the customer's business use case, but it's a thing that is the same for different use cases from GPU cluster setup and configuration, orchestration, job scheduling, distributed training, sharding the model for uh, inference or for training, all the efficiency optimizations, all the performance optimizations, auto-scaling, uh, things like handling GPU failures, like fault tolerance. I can tell you that if you're training a large model, like 3 billion parameter and larger, probably training it on a clusters of tens to thousands of GPUs, if you're running a few days, you're going to get GPU failures for sure. Good systems are able to detect the failure, mitigate it automatically. Systems that are not as good will actually fail the job and someone needs to wake up in the middle of the night and figure out what's going on and figure out where's the best last checkpoint and then restart the cluster, load that checkpoint, and it's a pain. There's a nice, I think, a couple of anecdotes for that. If you have already... Meta's OPT-175 model training log. So Meta, I think maybe a bit over a year ago, they trained a 175 billion parameter model they call OPT-175 and actually published the operational log of training that model. And there's, I think, more than 100 failures that required some kind of manual intervention during the one month of the training run. And that's painful. You want a system that can automatically detect these failures and mitigate them, uh, which is one of the things we're doing with the Mosaic ML platform. So like how much does it cost to train a language model, like a yeah. like, rough ballpark? So it depends obviously, right, on a few things. It depends on the size of the model, how many parameters the model has. It also depends on how much data you're training the model on. And these things are, it's a choice you're making when you're designing a model. At Mosaic, we actually gained uh, an actually fully open source, a couple of models. Uh, 
for example, for our 7 billion parameter model, MPT7B, trained on about, I think, 1 trillion tokens. We trained it on about 400 something A100 GPUs. Took us about 10 days of training net. That would cost you about 250K, give or take, maybe 200K to 250K. And it's a fairly capable model if you fine tune it for your own specific needs. In fact, one of the things we've been doing since we were part of Databricks is actually work with internal Databricks teams to fine tune models for different parts of the Databricks platform. And uh, one of the things we released recently is in our capability within the Databricks data warehouse to have an AI assistant to actually automatically add description for tables and for columns you have in your data warehouse. Super useful feature because who likes to write documentation, right? No one. <laughs> um, so basically they took MPT7B, our 7 billion parameter language model. They fine tuned it on data sets with table metadata and description. And now they use this model as part of the Databricks, their data warehouse product to uh, automatically generate description for uh, customers' tables and columns. And now what's interesting, they took a 7 billion parameter model, MPT7B, they fine-tuned it, and they actually did a human evaluation comparing this model to ChatGPT, a GPT 3.5 Turbo, and this smaller fine-tuned model, which is much cheaper to serve, actually outperforms ChatGPT, which I think is, I'm not very surprised because I've seen a lot of customers fine-tuning models. But I think when I tell people about this use case, people are tend to be surprised. They can take a fairly small model, fine-tune it on the model, right? On the model, on the weights, deploy it themselves, which is much more cheap and lower latency, and then get results that are as good or better than some of the best models out there. But that's what you get with fine-tuning. So anyway, going back to your point, the MPT7B cost about 200,000 to about 250K. We also open sourced a larger model, MPT30B, so a 30 billion parameter model, four times as large, trained on the same number of tokens, although uh, we could probably squeeze better accuracy if we train it on more tokens. So that trained 500, A100 GPUs, I believe, about 30 days. It cost the area of $750,000 to $800,000. And I'm giving a ballpark because GPU, A100 GPU's cost is going down over time. Plus now we have H100s, which are costlier, but also are more performant. So you can typically get lower cost if you use H100s. Uh, but th these are the ballpark numbers if you want to pre-train your model. By the way, what's interesting is if you have a good base model and you fine tune it, then over there, it's like hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands, depending again, how much data you're fine tuning on. But for most typical fine tuning use cases, it's not going to cost you more than a couple of hundred bucks. Gotcha. So the, earlier this year, the Databricks purchased Mosaic ML. So walk me through how that happened. Like it's such a big event because I think it was purchased for $1.3 billion, very large amount of money. So walk me through what happened during the like acquisition. Was there any type of transitional like period? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm unfamiliar with like how that type of acquisition like works when like a large company purchases like a, a data company. Were you there during that time period? Did you get to experience that, that the purchase? 
Yeah, it was it was a first time uh, for me to go through something uh, exciting like that. And uh, first thing I would say is, I think the acquisition. I mean, I'm speaking a bit out of position here, but the acquisition makes tons of sense if you think about Databricks' mission, the data plus AI company, and they were very successful with Spark, with the data warehouse solution, uh, to really offer a lot of value for customers, but a lot of that value was around storing the data, processing it. What AI brings to the table is also the ability to, if you will, like compress all that data into, right, into a model, when that model can generalize on the data, it really gives you more insight, more capabilities. And what's interesting, by the way, is that Databricks has been a machine learning company from early on, like Spark, MLib, um, it's fairly early in Spark's uh, right uh, existence, but I think because of when Spark started and was built, uh, a lot of the capabilities were more on the what we call today traditional ML side, right? And it didn't really catch up with all the Gen AI cap capabilities. And also, generative AI requires, I'd say, infrastructure very different than what Spark has to offer. I think by Databricks acquiring Mosaic. They're really uh, looking to enhance and really juice up uh, Databricks platform capability with Gen AI capabilities, adding more value for their customers. So yeah, the acquisition itself, one thing that surprised me is that it, it was extremely fast in terms of just timeline. You know, I think it took about two months from I think, uh, the first conversation of Ali Gotzi, Databricks CEO, with Mosaic CEO, Navin Rao. And I think there was good chemistry between leadership. It was a good match in terms of the culture. Both companies have a very strong engineering culture. And I think things clicked pretty well. And yeah, two months later, we were all Databricks employees. That was very exciting. And again, I, I just think sometimes when I look at it, I almost feel Mosaic ML is Databricks a few years back or Databricks is Mosaic ML like a few years back. So there was a lot of match in terms of culture, and yeah, the engineering culture, the focus on empowering other companies, the focus on enterprises, right? That's a core thing with Databricks. It was also a core thing at Mosaic. So yeah, it was a really good match. And I think it helped things move very quickly along. Now, typically in these store acquisitions, you have initial conversations, you have due diligence, both parties, or especially the company being acquired into a share, a lot of their plans, roadmap, capabilities, code base, there's all this ceremony that happens just to make sure that whoever is purchasing, right, is getting what they're expecting to get. There are no surprises down the line. Yeah. I, in my experience using Databricks, I think Databricks is the best data science platform compared to any other vendor. I've done, a, I've done plenty of bake offs where I'd be tasked with comparing like Databricks versus like Data IQ, Data Robot, and every single time. I always go back to Databricks because it's the deployment of it is turnkey. The feature sets on there are very easy to use. So I think that Mosaic coupled with Databricks is a great couple. And um, I was really excited when I, so I actually went to the Databricks AI Summit this this year. And I got really excited when I saw that because now you basically have three big giants that are going to be competing with each other, right? You got Databricks and Mosaic. You have Microsoft with OpenAI, and then lastly, you have AWS with Anthropic. What are your thoughts on like these, it's like a, a try battle amongst like the big giants. What do you think is going to happen next? Yeah, I think 
the arena, I think, is actually broader than that. But there is this situation where right, different big and established companies are partnering with a smaller, more nimble, if you will, uh, partner with very specific domain expertise. What's going to happen next is, is a broad question. I can tell you, maybe share a little bit uh, on our vision at Databricks and how we're seeing the future. And then we can also chat about more broadly the industry and the field. But Databricks has been, I think, from very early on, a company that focuses on enterprises. And I think enterprises have very specific needs, right? It's about security. It's about data privacy. It's about ownership of the IP. And it's also about making things work together in a way that is seamless, right? And Databricks actually built a vision for Databricks AI, uh, what it means. It was actually a blog post published by Aligozzi, Databricks uh, CEO, recently about what he calls the data intelligence platform. Uh, I think it's a very compelling vision. It's about building, transforming right, Databricks platform into this data intelligence platform that it really is a set of capabilities that are core, right, integral part of the platform. Uh, and to, in my mind, it's like data warehousing 2.0, uh, makes data work for you in an intelligent way. And there are a few key things in that concept. One is natural language access. So people are used today to write query data, typically with uh, SQL, right? With generative AI, we can actually enable people to access data with natural language rather than SQL, and not just query the data, but also analyze the data. It's simple, it's very powerful, and it opens up the access uh, to data and understanding data to a much broader audience. This is one a key thing. Um, the second thing is semantic data cataloging. Um, so that the system doesn't just store your data, which is where we are now, but it also understands your data. You can imagine it going to enable things such as what I discussed earlier, actually, a table and column description generation. Uh, but it can also power like discovery of relevant data or flagging of valuable information, flagging of data that is unsafe or is a mismatch. Um, again, Gen AI, I think machine learning, by the way, has been doing that, but Gen AI like, takes this capability to a whole new level. And lastly, like first-class support for AI use cases. If you think about where we are today with applied LLMs, the you know, retrieval augmented generation design pattern is like a key thing. Uh, I think it's actually just um, the tip of the iceberg because there is a broader thing at play, which is actually tool augmented generation. Retrieval is just one tool. There are other tools like accessing a search engine. There are tools like running functions or calling APIs. If you can just think about the capabilities LLMs would have when all these tools would be fully supported, LLMs are going to do so much more than they can do today. Uh, but the idea with the data intelligence platform is that really uh, providing capabilities that all of the platform capabilities are just pluggable into uh, something like RAG or tool usage. Um, again, today you still need to take your data from one place to another, right? Take your text, fit it into an embedding uh, API, and then store it in a vector database. Uh, you can do it, of course, but it's more difficult, time-consuming, requires some expertise. Making the platform handle all of that for you automatically or in a way that is pluggable is going to just empower people to be able to extract so much more out of their data platform. All of these things are just going to play into enabling enterprises a bigger, better, faster way to leverage AI. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think 
rag, the retrieval augmented generation. That's that is the that's like the perfect initial use case, which is what everyone is building. But we like soon we're going to be moving past that because it's it soon it's going to be like a novelty where everyone's going to have it. You're going to be able to slap a chatbot on like document to be able to chat with your documents. So we're moving yeah. on that like to the next use case, to the next value add to the customer like tool augmented generation. That's that's going to be like the next on the horizon. I totally agree on that. In fact, I think within like, like probably like the next three months, like everyone's going to be able to have rag on everything that they have at at their office. So I'm really curious on on your take with the recent drama that happened at one of your competitors, OpenAI. So Sam Altman got kicked out and then he tried to go to Microsoft. Like they offered him a job at Microsoft and then he came back to OpenAI and like they kicked off the board and that was a whole drama. And it caused ripples throughout the Gen AI community where people were very cautious about using managed services. So like people were thinking about switching over to third party or not, not third party, but open source LMs. And then most recently, like Meta and IBM created this like AI alliance to promote more open source initiatives. What are your thoughts on that whole thing that happened? And like, how is that going to affect Mosaic moving forward with this perception of, of what happened at OpenAI? What's your take on Yeah. It? Yeah. With, with OpenAI... I just, I really just don't know the details. I think most people do not know. I do think it's a incredible organization that really had such an important role in democratizing, proving to everyone what the scaling up neural networks, autoregressive models can actually do. And I think that's just, I want to recognize this is something fantastic and fundamental in many ways. The technology, by the way, existed, right? Like we've all used it. I worked at Meta. We have similar things, but they scaled it and put it in front of people and the rest is history, right? And I want to acknowledge that this was significant. I do think that probably, you know, this organization started with a certain kind of mission and with a certain governance structure. And maybe now it's evolving to something a bit else. They have not been very open with their work in recent years. Um, the, um, I think it's fine if you want to pursue, uh, kind of business objectives, it's fine. I'm just, I feel bad for all the people there that had to go through all the hassle. It looks like they're back on track and I'm looking forward to see all the next amazing things they're going to, they're going to ship and make available to the world. They definitely have a world-class team over there. I, I do agree though, you know, what happened there made a lot of people who've been using OpenAI worried about, Hey, is this API going away or Hey. You know, what's about the control of, of my data? And I think that question has always been around with OpenAI. And I think they've been taking steps to guarantee to organization, hey, we're not going to use your data. So they've been trying to address that. Going back to Databricks slash Mosaic. I think Databricks, Mosaic focus has always been enterprises and data security, data privacy has always been super high on the list of the concerns and guarantees. And that is one of the key focus areas for us. Serving enterprises means we need to make sure that organization data is not accessible to anyone else. Of course, we will not use it to train our own models or, or whatnot. And that's like a very important tenant we, we're taking upon ourselves. Um, and I do think that if you're planning to address enterprises, that's like table stakes. You, you have to do that. The other interesting question, I think, is open source models versus closed source models. 
And one thing I'll point out is even the definition of open source model is murky. Some companies are declaring open source models, but then they only share the, the model weights and the model code in, in uh, Python, with PyTorch or whatnot, but then they don't share the recipe for how the model was trained. So it's not really reproducible, or maybe they don't share the data mix that used to train the model. Again, in that case, it's not only not reproducible, but it's also uh, a liability uh, for enterprises to use these models because the model may have been trained on data that had no, with copyright issues, right? So these companies may be sued uh, potentially. By the way, it plays back to the focus on enterprises like MPT 7B, MPT 30B and future models we are developing at Mosaic. We take a lot of care to make sure the data these models are trained on is indeed we can uh, legally we're allowed to use it uh, and if there are some legal liabilities we are calling this out when we ship the model and we also make sure the right license is in place for that i i don't think it's again so in the open source world of models it's a mix and if any one of our listeners is considering to use an open source model like and you're part of an enterprise it's not like a personal hobby project i would definitely say hey Make sure you look at the license. If you have a legal department or a legal counsel, make sure they're reviewing the license so you know what you're what you're signing up for using and you don't expose your company to any liability. The bigger picture with open source is always this question, okay, are the closed models, which they are also frontier models like GPT-4 and Cloud2 and the others, how, you know, what's the balance of power gonna be between them and the open source model? like? Meta's Lama 2, which is a fantastic model, or MPT models, or Mistral models, or Falcon, there is a bunch. I think that is an interesting question. Uh, I do think the trend we've been seeing uh, is that uh, we see more and more of very capable open source models out there. I think they're closing the gap with closed source models. And I suspect we're going to see more and more of these open source models. And I also suspect the gap will continue to narrow although maybe not quite close fully. And but the question is, okay, do you really need the best general purpose model or can you actually use a really good model that's capable, but that, because it's open source, it has other advantages. Uh, I think again, depends on the use case. So I, I think it's gonna be really interesting to track, right? How things progress. We can also look at the history in software. Software is a very young industry, but if you look at operating systems, if you look at databases, all these foundational technologies, networking stacks, open source, in the short term, there were proprietary solutions, but then open source tends to win in the long run. And I'm not sure it's exactly the same here, but I think the history teaches us that open source catches up and wins eventually. But I guess we'll have to see. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so I'm curious on your point of view on how Mosaic ML, like their your language models, they stack up to these other language models. Anthropic, when they got really, when they first released like Cloud One, 
it was like a hundred K token size window, which was like like the big hot thing that that everyone was talking about. OpenAI, obviously they're they were like the the first movers in the market. They have the most capable frontier LM that's capable of doing zero shot. And to the to this day, it's still one of the best, or I think is yeah. the best for that uh, type of task where it's it, it has really good zero shot. Um, and then there's Llama 2, which you can quantize to run on CPUs. So like, where does Mosaic ML fit in when you're comparing it with these other language models? Yeah. Today, if you look objectively, there are, there are metrics. People tend to evaluate these models on, and you can argue, by the way, are these metrics even useful or not? Uh, but that's a separate topic. But objectively, MPT-7B is on par with the other 7 billion parameter model models. 30B is on par with the 30 billion parameters models, more or less. And obviously, we don't know exactly how many parameters ChatGPT is and GPT-4 and Claude because they keep this information closed. But it's fair to expect that these are larger models, so they're trained on many more tokens. And I think the way we think about it at Databricks and Mosaic Again, we're thinking about enterprise customers, right? So for enterprise customers, we want to make sure we have the adequate offering, which may not always be right, necessarily the model that scores highest on some evaluation. That is certainly is important. But then the other things that are important is ownership of IP. So can we offer models that organizations can actually use, for example, fine tune for their use? or even without fine tuning, just deploy it within their own protected environment. So their data doesn't go away from their premise. So that's one thing that we care a lot about and we build our models. They allow customers to maintain that premise of owning their IP. Another thing that customers, again, with kind of production workloads care a lot about is cost of serving. Uh, people tend to over-index on the cost of training because it is, I think about, wow, I don't know. Well, I mentioned some numbers earlier, right? MPT 30B, 800K US dollars to train. Sounds a lot. Uh, but if you look at serving at scale, it can dwarf that cost easily if you have a lot of scale. So customers care a lot about being able to serve efficiently. We design MPT models to be served efficiently on NVIDIA 100 GPUs, as an example. Uh, and we're continuing to design the future models that we work on today. We also, that's one of our top of mind things is we want to design this model. So the size of the model, uh, the architecture allows to serve it efficiently on standard hardware. So again, cost of serving, another thing, and, and latency is another for many online applications. For example, code completion, right? Latency matters a lot and so does cost, but latency a lot because as developer, I'm typing the comment or instruction or the function prototype, and then I want uh, the model immediately to fill in the code for me. So latency matters a lot. And again, latency tends to right, grow much higher as the model grows in size and the other architectural considerations with regards to latency. So we're designing our models with this in mind. And yeah, by the way, just uh, this last example, uh, one of our customers is Replit. And Replit right, is a fantastic company offering, I think it's the world's most popular online developer environment. And they train, they have a cool feature called Ghostwriter. It's a coding assistant, similar to Copilot, GitHub Copilot. They train this model on Mosaic platform. We train it from scratch, I should say. And they deliberately chose a very relatively small model in terms of number of parameters. I believe it's about 3 billion parameters, the latest version. 
and they chose this specific model size. They could have gone to a bigger size. They have plenty of data, but they chose this model size because they wanted to optimize for low latency and low cost because they want every customer of theirs to have access to this model, ideally for free. So these are the kind of considerations you can think of. Of course, they could have used GPT-4, but then latency would be really bad. Cost would just be too heavy for them to be able to offer it to their customers. So I think if you combine all of those, so data privacy, security, cost, and latency, that's what we are focusing on. Of course, and we want to package that within the best model possible, but working within these constraints. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Like the cost of deployment or a language model, like people haven't, right now, the majority of people are in like the POC stage. Right. Or like they're just trying it out. Maybe they moved on to the MPV minimum viable product stage, but a lot of them haven't productionalized a lot of these models. And it's very expensive. In fact, like I think GPT-4 is 10 times as expensive compared to 3.5 turbo. And it's like cost in mind, like you got to find like the most capable model, but then also be able to most capable model for your use case, but then also need to track the, the cost. And you guys are running some type of cost analysis and also monitoring systems on with Databricks. Is that right? We, so we offer today a, a service for fine tuning models and you can either do continuous pre-training or you can do instruction fine tuning and you can do it easily with the MPT models or Mistral or Llama 2 models uh, from 7 billion parameter all the way up to 70 billion parameter. We figured out all of uh, pain of hyperparameter tuning, streaming of the data into the training cluster, checkpointing, fault tolerance, all of that. So it's a fairly simple API at this point to call. And, and as part of doing that, you can also kind of configure the evaluation metrics uh, you want to run. You can also configure a couple of sniff test input prompts that allows you to see how the model gets better at answering these prompts or completing these prompts as the training goes along. Fully integrated into the Databricks platform. And once model is trained with one click, you can actually have it deployed on Databricks platform for inference. So that's already there. We have some more exciting things coming up. Uh, parameter efficient fine tuning, which is just, it's just going to open up and make leveraging larger and larger models with fine tuning much more accessible in terms of the cost to serve. So that's like an implementation of the low rank adaptation algorithm that we're pulling in. And there's a lot of other goodies, right? We are actually hard at work now uh, to ship hopefully in the next one or two quarters. And it's all going to be built into the Databricks platform with amazing security, data privacy, close to the data, to the customer's data. It's already there with support for streaming the data from the data warehouse into the training cluster, storing back into Databricks Unity catalog and making it fully compatible with the uh, Databricks model serving. So yeah, we're hard at work uh, on that. There's tons of customer demand and yeah, it's very exciting. I'm very interested in finding out what's on the horizon for Mosaic. Are you guys planning on releasing like a much larger, more capable model with more like parameters? Are you planning on like billing like an infrastructure, like a different infrastructure on it. What's the what's the future plans for Mosaic with uh, Databricks? Yeah, now that we are fully part of Databricks, we're focusing on the generative AI capabilities on the Databricks platform. And there are a few, again, our goal is to just 
just like it was when we were just Mosaic ML. In part of Databricks, our goal is also to just make generative AI and in general, large-scale AI more accessible to a broader, as a broad set of customers as possible. So to achieve that, one thing we're working on is integrating all of the Mosaic capabilities to be a native part in the Databricks platform. And this is not just busy work. It's really important because truly Databricks offers the best security uh, in the industry, I would say, a very high security bar alongside data privacy, alongside a set of uh, JSON tooling that is really valuable for folks. So ideally, if you're on a Databricks platform, we want to give you access to all the latest and greatest generative AI capabilities that either exist today on what was the Mosaic ML platform, or also new capabilities that didn't even exist there. We're going to make it available on the Databricks platform. So things like easily access state-of-the-art uh, models for inference. Currently, it's mostly open source models like Llama 2, 70 billion parameter chat model, or MPT7B uh, instruct uh, following model, etc., uh, or an embedding model, right? Or actually even taking your own model, whatever it is, and deploying it for inference, and inference is optimized, run at low cost, etc. The other set of capabilities around being able to train your models, either pre-training them from scratch, which is important for some use cases. I think healthcare is one example. Finance is another example. There's actually plenty more. Or fine-tuning a base model for a use case. And then, of course, taking whatever these models you know, are, deploying them easily, and have all of that in an environment that gives you governance, right? So you can control how much things are being called. So you can control cost. Uh, being able to log input and output payloads, right? Being able to monitor for safety. There's all these capabilities, right, that we'll be building. Now, the core part underlying all of this is the models, right? And over there are strategies both to leverage the latest and greatest open source models produced by really phenomenal organizations out there, like Meta is one example. What they did with Lama 2 is incredible. They really boosted the ML community and kudos to them. And there are other organizations that make great models available. But then also, we do want to offer our own homegrown models where we optimize for not just model quality. Model quality is definitely one, but also things like serving cost, latency, security, compatibility with hardware that is becoming more of the commoditized accelerator hardware. And for that, yes, we've built the MPT series of model. We're still at work on even better models. Uh, I can't share any more details now, but stay tuned. There's going to be some exciting announcements on that front uh, soon. I'm really excited to to see if you guys are going to release a new version of the MPT models. Recently, Google released their Gemini model. OpenAI has got their GPT-4 Turbo. So I'm, I'm very excited to see where Mosaic's going to head in the future. And, and then finally, like the last question for young Gen AI engineers that want to get into this game. Do you have any advice on like where to start? Like where would you even begin if you want to get into this field? So it's a great question. I actually get asked that question a lot. Um, just a fun fact about myself. I started my career as an engineer. I always worked in the area of the overlap between systems and algorithms. But when I started my career, neural networks was like a joke, right? Almost no one, it wasn't in production anywhere, of course. In academia, even most people didn't research it. And I even remember my one of my professors, my machine learning professor at my uh, you know graduate studies, 
uh, when we were learning, going through the different machine learning techniques like logistic regression and support vector machines and other things that old people like me still remember, uh, we got at some point to talk about neural networks. And I remember that professor who was very capable and well-known. I want to reveal his name here. But he said, ah, don't worry about neural networks. They don't work anyway. Let's move on. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, I know, because like 10 years later, like it's, it's just a true revolution. So when I actually, my first actually working on your networks was when I joined AWS, I believe it was 2017, and we were working on SageMaker, building AWS SageMaker, which is today, it's actually the largest, fastest growing uh, service in AWS's history. A lot of that growth, most of it, I think, came because it offered an easy way to train your networks and to deploy them. So I came also with some high-level theoretical knowledge about neural networks, but that's it. But what I did have is a lot of appetite, a lot of curiosity, a lot of willing to work hard. And the first year or two was just full of learning. It's like drinking through a, from a fire hose. When I looked around, many people around me were at the same stage, just learning. And I think if you have the curiosity, uh, if you have the drive, and you're willing to put in right a lot of hard work, as humans, we're so adaptive. We can learn so many things. Bring in the motivation, be ready to work hard, be curious, and, and be humble, right? Know that you do not know a lot, and then you'll gradually, but just doing the work, being involved, contributing for what you can, you'll gradually adapt, build your skills. Yeah, so and beyond that, the other thing I would say is get hands-on. It's really important. Try things out. Of course, read papers, yes, but then go try out the code, run it, debug it. Try to make it work, try to enhance it through this iteration. We, we learn so much. And then if you are putting all of that in, the sky is the limit. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show. And until next time, stay curious.